name is Eden Zinn, and I'm one of the incoming co-editors-in-chief of The Gator. In this episode of the podcast regarding the COVID-19 vaccine, I spoke to Mahalat Voldemarian, alumna of the Bremer and May class of 1995. Mahalat is a global project manager at the pharmaceutical company Sanofi, where she works in research and development in the immunology and inflammation field for respiratory indications such as asthma and COPD. Mahalat worked in pandemic vaccines at Swiss pharmaceutical company Novartis and worked there in vaccines and diagnostics as a clinical research scientist during the 2009 H1N1 pandemic. In today's podcast episode, Mahalat explains some of the science behind vaccines, how vaccines are developed and clinically tested, and why they prove helpful in putting an end to global pandemics. So I'd like to start off with talking about some of the science behind the COVID-19 vaccine. Okay. There's so much information floating around about the terms that I'm not sure people are familiar with, like mRNA and viral vector and immunity. So I was wondering if you'd be able to clear up for us, what is a vaccine and like, what is its use in medicine? Oh, wow. Okay. That's a heavy loaded question. Yeah. Anyways, but um, to me, I see a vaccine as, as a means of prevention, right? There's medication for treatment and then vaccine is prevention before you need the treatment. So um, in many ways, it's the, I, it's my personal belief, it's the best way of healthcare is to prevent from getting sick. So uh, very much pro-vaccine. I'm a vaccine advocate uh, since I was a kid, I guess, since through my mom, uh, she's a nurse. So um, strong belief. I think second to clean water, the greatest contribution on global public health is vaccines, right? So uh, firm believer. I, uh, I vector, okay, so I'm a biologist by education, but I haven't been in the lab for many, many years. <laughs> so I'm more in the research part and managing uh, clinical research. So I spent a lot of time in clinical trials, and then now more in the program management level in terms of drug development. So the best way I can describe an mRNA is it's uh, one, I did see a TikTok video that said it's essentially like a story in a Snapchat or Instagram story. If you think of it, it's the instruction, it's not permanent. It just gives you the information that you need to know and then it disappears. So essentially an mRNA is that it's a package instruction to your cells to make something and then it disappears after the instruction has been convert, you know, transferred to your own personal, your immune system. Uh, that's probably the best way I can describe it. Vectors, I have to uh, Google it, but yeah, vector is essentially a transportation system. If you will. Yeah, that is a great explanation of mRNA. I continue to be surprised every day by what social media is able to teach. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. It was an easy way to explain to those that may not be in the field. Yeah. So um, in terms of the COVID-19 pandemic and the vaccines that were developed, would you be able to talk about the, the vaccine and how it differs from other vaccines that have been manufactured in the medical field? Well, it, it, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, the Moderna and, and Pfizer and J&J, I think, are the three that are currently out on um, the public. Uh, I can't speak to exactly how they're, I'm not in manufacturing, but I can give you an, an overall sense. I did work in vaccines um, pr uh, prior to joining Sanofi, I was at Novartis Vaccines and I was in the clinical uh, program for the influenza vaccine. So I did get a chance to work on the pandemic. So essentially you get the information, the, the best way I can describe it, you get information about the virus, you take portions of the virus that doesn't cause the disease, you m manufacture it, you do what you need to do with it, either through um, mRNA or other means of making vaccine and you safely and effectively make sure that it, it is transferred to uh, 
a vial or a syringe and that whole process gets followed. But it is a very controlled process. I know there's been a lot of concern at the speed of how the COVID vaccine was developed, but the knowledge of how to make vaccines has been in, in existence for a long, long time. So I think people confuse the speed as lack of knowledge, but it's not the same, right? We have had a lot of experience in vaccine production and manufacturing for many years with different viruses and different diseases. So. Um, this is, I think people's concern is valid, but there's a lot of information out there to confirm uh, that it is okay, that people do know the process and it's been manufactured in a systematic way that we can make the vaccine. So I don't know if I answered that question, but. Yeah, no, definitely. Thank you. And um, yeah, as you said, it's my understanding that it takes a really long time to initially develop the prototypes for this vaccine. So. Um, yeah, the mechanism is known, right? It's the yeah. virus that's different. So if you have a formula and you just plug in for X, you solve for X. So it depends on the virus or the disease that you're trying to solve for, you insert a portion of the virus. Uh, so you follow the formula. So I think in that way, you know, I'm comforted that people are, um, you know, obviously the uptake of vaccine has to increase, but yeah. Yeah. And um so I know you were you worked in clinical trials, right? So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what the larger role of these trials is in determining the efficacy of these vaccines and yeah. making sure that people know that they're safe to use, since I know yeah. that's your concern. I think one thing I want to highlight in the process is there are a lot of checks in the system, right? It's not something that the pharmaceutical company are going renegade and it's not the wild, wild west, right? There's a lot of process in there. So from a clinical trial perspective, once you have the vaccine candidate, right? You manufacture it in a small portion, you run a clinical trial, phase one, phase two, phase three. And in normal circumstances, if it's a new vaccine, you would have to go through that steps, right? Um, uh, the flu va vaccine in the pandemic, we, we've been making flu vaccines for a long time. The strains are different sometimes. So you still have to go through the same process, even if you know the vaccine has been manufactured for another strain previously. So you do your trial, phase one is just to see if the amount of dose, if it's safe and to give to humans. Um, but in vaccines, we've had a lot of experience with that. And again, you use animal data, preclinical studies. So it's not, we're not going blindly into humans. There's a lot of lab tests that you do. Um, the preclinical, you test that, and then you go into human trials. And then you increase the number of populations. Once you know the right dose, the safety profile of the vaccine is, is good enough to go to the next step. And as you're going through the steps, typically there is an external body that, do, that evaluates the data. So uh, safety monitoring board, every trial would have a separate experts that would evaluate the safety of the vaccine as the trial is being conducted. So again, there's a lot of checks in the system. You know, prior to starting a clinical trial, you have to go through an IRB, the institution where the trials are being run, ethics committee. So there's external checks to make sure that the trial or the test that's being done is controlled and is, is still of benefit to the general public. So you go through all that steps as you're going through, especially in a pandemic, because there's different um, response to a declaration of a pandemic. It's a global level. So there's certain things that get triggered when a disease is, or an event is considered pandemic versus epidemic. So um, a lot of things get triggered. And once you have, you're running your trial, your safety 
monitoring board and at each step they tell you yes it's safe to continue right there's a check in there to say until you complete the trial you gather the data you send it to fda uh, fda reviews it there's also a separate advisory committee that typically reviews the data so again it's not just on fda they do get an external um, information there's always a public hearing especially when it comes to vaccines so any concerns or any issue that uh, FDA hears the public. Um, after that, it gets into a decision body that evaluates and send, they evaluate the risk versus the benefit, right? It is beneficial. You can handle the risk for the greater benefit. So there's always that balance that the risk benefit, the benefit should outweigh the risk. And once that's done, it's, it's approved for distribution. Now in the COVID circumstances, what happens typically is manufacturers in a normal situation, a normal vaccine, they wait until there's some level of approval before you scale the production of your vaccine, right? It doesn't mean that you didn't know, but it just helps in terms of cost savings and you, know, you wanna do some steps for decision. In the case of COVID, from my understanding is the manufacturing was in parallel, right? So the scale up was in parallel, the process was already um, confirmed. So. And from a CMC or uh, chemistry manufacturing control, that's what it stands for, meaning the, the manufacturing portion of it, there's a lot of documentation that you have to provide, right? Your validation reports, all of that. So again, that documentation is part of the submission to FDA. So there's a lot that goes behind the scene that a lot of, um, um, we have to follow as a people in working in pharma. So the general public may not know about all the process, but it is outlined in the FDA website for people to check out. But again, if it's not your field or if you don't have to do it on a daily basis, I can understand that it might be uh, overwhelming. Um, I see, yeah, that? <laughs> that was great, thank you. So um, so you worked in pandemic vaccines before and um, at uh, Sanofi, right? Uh, during in the Novartis, Novartis. Uh, Novartis, yeah, yeah. During, thank you, during the H1 pandemic. H1N1 pandemic. So I'm sure that there's a lot that's different with like the global impact that COVID has had with the race to uh, develop and roll out a vaccine. And I know you, your experience with working in this industry has been different with both pandemics, but would you be able to share some of the parallels um, between the, the two pandemics in terms of their vaccines? Yeah, I think the steps are similar from what I understand in terms of the re relating with uh, sharing, doing your research, sharing with the data. I was personally involved in the clinical research. So I was a clinical research scientist during the H1N1 pandemic for the influenza. So I was part of the team that had to run the first clinical trial using the first uh, candidate of a vaccine. Again, flu is different. We have a lot, a lot of years of experience making flu vaccines. Um, so with the, I think the public perception was not as where we are currently in COVID, but even saying that I did experience um, the first trial that we ever ran for the uh, H1N1 was in Costa Rica. So I was there when the first patient was dosed uh, with the vaccine and kudos to our team. We were the first from all the pharma that uh, made it to do the first clinical trial. But again, it's a race with time. I think there's a collaboration across everyone in the industry because it is a public health, right? Even though we're working in the industry, we're also part of the public. We're also impacted by it. So there's a definite genuine uh, call for action that everyone responds to. And it, it's really it's really warming and it sort of brings the, the whole public together and, and especially those that were working on it. So um, 
I think the parallels are the same. I remember when we got, when COVID was declared a pandemic, it just, it triggered a lot of the same process, even though I was not working in COVID vaccine. I just remember a lot of my coworkers that were engaged in, it just shifts, right? Like 24 seven, you're trying to get your waste against time. So the, the dedication is 110%. Um, the, the feeling is the same. I think the public, Unfortunately, I feel like it got really polarized with the COVID. Uh, there were some in H1N1, of course, but never to this level. I've never seen it to this. And it's a different disease, right? Even though it's respiratory, it wasn't like flu that most people know flu from a personal experience, but COVID was relatively new. Um, so it, it, it's the process is the same. I think the pace of developing is the same. There's always a rush to make the vaccine so you can provide it to the public, right? It's prevention and it's respiratory. So that's another one that is also concerning. Yeah, and I know you're, uh, that's your specialty, right? Is um, Yeah, I work in immunology and inflammation, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm wondering, how does your work overlap in this way with COVID with, I know you work in pharmaceutical industry with um, like lung conditions like COPD and yep. asthma. Yeah, so I was wondering if you could talk sure. about I think the way currently my project, I, I, I read an asthma uh, biologic and COPD. And um, I think how we were impacted, even though we're not directly working on COVID, we were absolutely impacted by the shutdown, like essentially the world came to a halt. So you have to think we run trials in the respiratory indication. So COVID is a respiratory disease. So for our trial participants, if they were uh, asked not to go into the clinic, obviously hospitals were shut down, hospitals were overwhelmed with COVID patients. So how do you run a trial, a respiratory trial in, in an era of COVID or a time of COVID? So we were absolutely impacted by that, but we had to be very um, uh, uh, flexible in how we solved our problems, right? So the clinical trial typically is prescribed, right? You have X number of visits that you have to go to the clinic to get your dosage of your, whatever your product you're testing. So how do we get the product so they don't miss a dose to the patient? So we ended up having to be very creative, worked with the agencies and the governments uh, where the trials are being run to see if we can directly ship the drug to the patients. So there's some countries allowed that, some institutions allowed that, others did not. So there's a lot of creative problem solving. Um, and then technology, right? Everyone was working from home. So how do you monitor? You, you do have to monitor the data that's been collected. How do you go on site monitoring visit when the site does not allow anyone to come into the clinic? So re uh, remote monitoring was initiated. So basically you look through EDC, uh, electronic data capture to be able to monitor the data that you're, correct, you're collecting. So there's a lot of flexibility and we have to be very agile in how we solve the problems that we were impacted in a way that the, the respiratory products, uh, the respiratory hospitals or clinic were impacted. Um, yeah, thank you. So we recently came up on the one year mark since the, the World Health Organization declared COVID a pandemic. Right. And to many, it seems that we may be on the other side with this vaccine. Yeah, I'm curious, um, how are immunologists and scientists and researchers like yourself um, who may be developing that, this vaccine take into account how the vaccine is rolled out and maybe what it takes to reach herd immunity? Since I know you talked about how mm -hmm. you're finding ways to be creative and how to get the dose to everyone. So uh, would you be able to talk about that? Sure. 
sure. I think if anyone that has the opportunity to get the vaccine should be should get the vaccine. Um, I think herd immunity. I read somewhere. I've seen somewhere. It's about seven. You want to have at least seventy to eighty-five percent of the population vaccinated. Again, the way I describe it to people is you want to lessen the opportunity for the virus to infect, right? If it doesn't go around like poking people, if you know, if it doesn't have enough people, then it sort of dies out, dies down on its own. You want to get to that point where everyone's vaccinated. So at this point, I know most states are opening up their uh, uh, stages of who can get access to it. So I urge everyone to get vaccinated so that we can get to a point where, yeah, the virus sort of sort of fizzles out, if you will. But it, in order for it to fizzle out, it has to not have the opportunity to infect. So herd immunity is very important. Yeah. So and in terms of vaccine hesitancy, um, people who are sh um, sure or definitively know they aren't sure or they they didn't they know they're not getting the vaccine. Do yeah. scientists know um, like the effect that this might have um, on like efforts to return to immunity and like getting back to normal, which I'm sure everyone is, is just ready to do? Yeah, I think it's a different scientists generally are, have not been very good about like the the uh, the politics behind that, right? Because we're focused on the science, but. I think it's important for people to understand the, the impact of not being vaccinated, right? It's, it's not just for you, it's, it is a respiratory disease. So there's going to be contacts and what have you. So you have to think in a collective way. You're helping others, not just for yourself. So I understand some hesitancy for people. I know uh, people of color typically in America have had a very strong history of not, of lack of trust with the agent, and rightfully so, right? You know about the Tuskegee experiment. There's a lot of reasons to not trust. I get that. Um, at the same time, there's a lot of policies and procedures that came out after that as a result of that experience. So transparency really helps, uh, educating the public on how the vaccines are made, the checks in the system, uh, and then providing as much information as possible to sort of um, you know, lack of trust is lack of information to some extent. So if you provide a lot more information, people can do a better job of making that decision on their own or, you know, talking to people and their family members. Um, that, I think the vaccine hesitancy to me, you know, the, the best way I can describe it is I'd rather have my own immune system get a bit of it to, to test it out than get the actual real virus, right? Because the consequences of after infection is also another point to consider. Most people that have gotten COVID, gotten really sick, have uh, existing conditions after that. A sequela is what they call it, right? Most of them come out of the hospital, but with side effects that uh, are a result of having COVID. So you have to think, to me, I'd rather prevent getting COVID than seeing the consequences. I have a friend, for example, that did get COVID and she has remnant effect on the joint. She has joint pains. Um, so yeah, I'd rather not experience the disease. I'd rather just get two shots or one shot and be okay with the small side effect that comes out of getting a, a vaccine. But And that is actually all I have planned. So uh, Oh, cool. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. No problem. I hope it was helpful. I think I, I you know, I'd urge a lot of information is available on um, websites. So you can just Google CDC is a good reference point, uh, cdc.gov, fda.gov. There's a way... Um, they have a lot of infographics that are easy to digest on how 
the decision for emergency use act that describes the process of how a vaccine comes to a point of being approved. So I, I want people to believe that or to feel like there is there's a lot of checks in the system and, and any concerns that they have, they should really research it out. Thank you for listening to today's podcast episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you will listen in to future episodes of the podcast to learn more about COVID-19 vaccines.